Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Radio's Astronomy Guide to the Best Things to See in the Night Sky in May 2021. I'm Elizabeth Pearson, the magazine's news editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor Paul Money. Hiya, Eddie. How's things? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, not too bad. A little bit tired. We've had so many clear nights sort of thing, you know. <laughs> I was just about to say it's had some absolutely spectacular days and nights recently. It's been absolutely brilliant for observing. It is. And uh, also it, it very quickly tires you out because uh, the thing is, you know, I like to stay. I don't like to go out just for half an hour. Um, I will be out for several hours on a time, if not longer. So, mm. uh, you know, so um, it, it makes the days rather strange because I, I people think <laughs> I'm people think I'm strange because I sleep by day and I'm I'm out by night and they wonder what's he doing out at night. <laughs> That's what we all get for as astronomers. <laughs> yes, there is definitely there's there's sometimes when you're trying to like contact somebody during work hours and they were like, sorry, it was a really good night last night. <laughs> so I didn't go to bed until like eight in the morning and have been asleep all day. <laughs> The joys of being an astronomer. It is, it is. But uh, sadly, I'm getting older now and I have to find it's beginning to take its toll, you know. Oh dear, woe is me. <laughs> I, I haven't got the stamina as I had when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, uh, we've got May coming up. What are your, like, if you've only got so much time, what are your top tips for what people should really try and see next month? I really think that there's two sides to this. There's the planets, and in the evening sky, we're really treated this month because mm. we have the inner planets, Mercury and Venus, return to the sky, to the evening sky. Uh, so they'll be in uh, bright evening twilight. Uh, and uh, Mars is still up in the evening sky as well. So we've got the three of the four terrestrial planets. And if you, as you can see the Earth's surface, you've technically got all four terrestrial planets, haven't you, on <laughs> display. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that's that's a treat. So we'll cover Mercury and Venus. But, uh, you know, we, we ought to mention deep sky as well, because uh, although it is May and the sky is getting lighter, and um, we have still got the uh, we often call it galaxy hunting season sort of thing. So, you know, there's plenty of galaxies uh, through Leo, uh, Coma, Virgo, and down to Corvus as such. So, you know, that's well worth mentioning as well because they, you know, it, it, it'll get too light soon uh, for us to really do anything decent with them. They do need the darker skies, to be fair, but the planets, Mercury and Venus, you know, you don't need the dark skies. You need a nice, clear horizon. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's... One of the things that I always really like is the fact that most often the planets are really easy to see. Um, they are, they're just, you know, kind of, if you know that one's up and you see something bright and shiny in the sky, it's like, oh, that's a planet. That's one of the regular things, isn't it, on social media? Somebody will post a picture up, which, uh, you know, as an astronomer, you immediately think, ah, oh, yes, that look, that, their time is saying it's the early evening. That's Venus. And the question is, this star is and of course you really mm. want to say that's no star that's a planet sort of thing but you, you can't look too clever can you because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to upset them but uh, no i mean you know nine times out of ten it's the moon as well because mm. um, one of the beauties about this uh, the the, the uh, uh, star diary is that the moon plays a big role and is a great guide to the planets you know if you mm. if you i mean mercury isn't the brightest of the planets and it is in bright evening twilight so when the, the moon is next to it 
or you know, in its vicinity. It's a great guide. And I mean, the moon is a great guide to many objects in the sky when it's close to that people will probably not notice. So, uh, you know, so we, we get that uh, this month with Mercury and, and Venus as well. So, uh, you know, it's uh, I mean, it's nice to see these planets emerging into the evening sky. Uh, it, it feels like a long absence. One hmm. of those things was, you know, Venus takes a long time before it swings back into the evening sky. And uh, and some apparitions are really good. This apparition is not so brilliant because it's quite low. But br Venus is very bright. I mean, hmm. that's the key with Venus, you know. Uh, so uh, I did see an interview recently on TV where somebody was talking about Mercury and Venus and said, you know, and use Mercury as a guide to Venus. And I'm thinking, sorry, hang on, what? you need to be the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> if you need Mercury to find Venus, Venus is suffering some terrible fate we didn't know about. Uh, it, it is definitely the other way around. Venus is the best guide to Mercury. <laughs> it's one of those things that always kind of takes me a little bit as by surprise when I see Venus again after it's gone away and come back. It's just I always forget just exactly how bright it is. Because uh, I think it's the the brightest thing after the moon and the sun, yeah, isn't it? Or it can be. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, it's only a second only. I mean, Jupiter's the next one, um, mm. unless Mars is at its very best, which we had a couple of years ago. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's this brilliant little. It looks like a star, you know, low down. Mm. But when you spot it, you know, I always think it's unmistakable. Once you've spotted it, you can follow it every clear evening. After that. Um, I mean, a year ago uh, in April, we had a really good apparition, and I always remember showing. I think no, I think it was. I think it was about this similar time of year, and I remember showing the neighbour Mercury and Venus because they were brilliantly placed. They were they were a lot higher than Mercury is doing well. It this is a good apparition for Mercury. Venus is not so much. It's lower down, but last year it was a really good apparition for both of them. And uh, and I had several neighbours, um, socially distanced, of course, <laughs> look, <laughs> looking at Mercury and Venus, and, and then none of them had seen Mercury before. So, uh, you know, so it really is good. And Venus is so bright, you know, the first thing you spotted as soon as it started to get, I mean, it wasn't even dark. The sun had just gone down, and a short while later you picked up Venus. Um, and surprisingly, you know, when it's when it's reasonably high up, as long as it's far enough away from the sun, because you've got to be careful, but you can see Venus in daylight. And, mm. uh, and I was doing that last year, picking up in daylight. But if you're going to use, say, binoculars to search for it in daylight, for heaven's sake, make sure you steer clear away from the sun. So, you know, obviously we've got mm. to be careful with that. But uh, but other than that, Venus is that good guide to Mercury, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an important point. If you are ever doing any kind of observations of either Venus or Mercury, um, be very careful. Either make sure that the sun has completely set, um, is the safest option, or be very, very aware of where the sun is. Make sure that you don't look at it directly with your naked eye and you definitely, definitely do not want to look at it through binoculars. You can cause yourself some serious damage. So do, if you are out there at home going to look for you, those two planets, do be careful. Exactly. Don't let that put you off, though. <laughs> no, no. And, and the other advantage is if you've got any buildings, this is one of the rare advantages if you've got any buildings, get the sun behind the buildings um, so you can yeah. still see, say, Venus or search for Venus and Mercury without worrying about the sun. But Because uh, I've done that before. I've, I've waited until the sun has actually set. Just be, It's not officially set, but it's, it's gone behind a neighbor's house. Mm -hmm. And then I know it's safe to start searching with the binoculars sort of thing yeah. or even a telescope. But you do have to be very, very careful. So really at the start of the month, you know, Venus is below Mercury. We had a close encounter at the end of April, so April the 25th, was they were quite close to each other. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's past now. Um, but Mercury's climbing higher. 
uh, into the west northwest sky. Uh, but in evening twilight, so look about half an hour after sunset. You know, give you know as, as we say, let the sunset for the safest option. But uh, half an hour afterwards, and uh, and so you'll see Mercury climbing higher and Venus below it, the brilliant Venus below it, and. Uh, and then after that sort of thing, on the 13th, well, the 12th and the 13th are interesting because the crescent moon is very, very difficult when it's low down, but it will be below Venus on the 12th, but it will be really, really difficult. You really have to make sure the sun is set, but at the same time um, have enough horizon for to see Venus clear above the horizon. You might just get a glimpse of the really difficult crescent below Venus. But the next evening, it's uh, to the lower left of Mercury. So, uh, you know, so um, it, then that becomes easier and it is a really good guide uh, to actually get in Mercury. But in the meantime, as Mercury's climbing up in that first week, it does something interesting because it goes past the Pleiades star cluster, Messier 45. Now, twilight is a pretty, I mean, when it's that low, the star cluster, it is not easy to spot. But again, like we use the moon to find Mercury, often you can use Mercury to find the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters star cluster. So around about the third through to the fifth, um, Mercury will, it, as we look at it on the horizon, it moves up to the left of the Pleiades star cluster. So uh, if you've got binoculars and you can locate Mercury, just shift to the right and see if you can see a few sparkly stars. And that'll be the Seven Sisters, Pleiades or Messier 45 a lot harder as it gets lower and literally within a few, well, a, a week, that will have gone. The, the Pleiades mm -hmm. will have gone. They will have set. So uh, last chance, obviously it's the last chance to get the Pleiades until, you know, we're looking at sort of late summer uh, when it's mm -hmm. in the morning sky. And then you have to be really keen to get up, don't you? <laughs> yeah. You have to be a really keen <laughs> astronomer. <laughs> I, I've got to stay up. I have to say, I can't put an alarm on because I, I just crush the alarm and go back to sleep. <laughs> <I've got that. laughs> Once upon a day, I was very good. If the alarm went off, uh, you know, I would get up. But nowadays it's, oh, I'll shut up you and straight back to sleep. So I stay up. It's easier. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why we always make a bigger deal of when Mercury and Venus are in the evening skies as opposed <laughs> to when they are in the morning skies. Hey. Exactly. Um, I'm sure that for some some of our listeners, they'd much rather get up at four in the morning when they're out walking the dog or whatever. But for, for most people, the evening ones are a lot easier to to kind of fit into your schedule. They are. I mean, we will deal with the morning sky when we look at Jupiter and Saturn in a short while. But uh, and I have to say the morning skies can be really crisp because everything seems to have settled down. If we've had a very calm, windless night, the atmosphere settles down and the seeing conditions are often uh, absolutely brilliant. So we've got Mercury all month, really, and Venus as well. But Venus stays quite low. But Mercury reaches its highest around about the 13th on the time when the moon is its guide. After that, it starts to drop back. But it is fading. That's the only disadvantage I find with the latter end of an evening apparition because Mercury fades quite rapidly. Um, so on the 28th, they are, it has a close encounter with Venus again, and it is quite close. It's just a, a sort of like about a degree apart or so, a degree or two apart. And the thing about this is that Venus, again, you'll, you'll need Venus to guide you to Mercury because Mercury will be quite low in the twilight. And, of course, it's faded. So Venus, this is where you really do need to use Venus as a guide to uh, Mercury. And after that, of course, Mercury then dropped away out of view um, but mm. we're left actually with Venus uh, to carry on, so that that's good. We'll have we'll still have an inner planet to actually observe as well. Mm -hmm. Now the other thing is we've got 
Mars. I mean, Mars always tickles me. I mean, um, I'm, we're recording this just after the phenomenally successful flight of Ingenuity. I mean, I was watching that and I nearly had tears in my eyes because the first helicopter mm. flight, Ezzy, I mean, you, I bet you were ex- as ecstatic as I was sort of thing, you know, because you follow space flight, don't you? Yeah, I was because I, I, I love planetary exploration. <laughs> um, very, very much my baby. Um, and uh, it is that kind of the fact that this was like a real true first. Yeah. It's the first time that we'd managed to take off from another planet. And it was very exciting watching along. And even though it was just a blip on a screen, um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was still it's like, oh, yay, they did it. Um, so I'm very excited to see where that's going. Yeah. It really felt like a, a, a sense of history, didn't it? It really, yeah, it really did come across as history. And I, I, what I like at the moment is Mars has this knack. It's it's orbital motion and against the background stars and those stars slowly sliding into the evening twilight. Um, it's it's still managing just about to keep ahead uh, and not drop into the twilight, but it is slowly losing that battle. So we will eventually lose it. So, you know, whilst that was going on sort of thing, literally that next night, that night, I was looking at Mars with a naked eye and, you know, you you feel that connection, you know. I mean, you see the real planet and you think, there's a helicopter Mm. just flown on that. Mm. Uh, Okay, not a Sikorsky, whatever helicopter, and other makes are available, of course. (laughs) But, but, you know, but uh, a small one, but it's a proof of concept. And to see the planet and think that's happening there and I can see the planet in the evening sky, you know, so uh, that that added to me the the sense of achievement that I could go out and look at it. I suppose Mm -hmm. it's a bit like the Apollo era when they looked up at the moon, they, they knew Neil and Buzz had just stepped out onto the surface of the moon. And you had mm. an in- I think it's an instant connection, you know, uh, either that I'm cracking up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is, there is kind of that, as you say, there's an instant connection. There's also, for me, it's it's just mind-boggling of that thing is so far away, but we've managed to reach out and touch it and send pictures back, which they have now done um, from, from Ingenuity and, and Perseverance. They've, they've sent lots of pictures back. They're looking amazing. So it's, it just, yeah, it just boggles my mind. <laughs> it does. And at the moment, say, um, although Mars's disk is getting quite small, so when you, you have to have a lot of magnification, you have to have really good, clear, steady seeing to actually see anything on Mars at the moment because it's quite a small disk. But visually, um, it moves through Gemini. It spends all month in Gemini, the twins. And uh, I always think this time of year is quite funny because the twins are actually standing up properly, you know. But most of the year, they seem to be on their side. And when they rise, it's near like feet first. But now, at last, they are actually standing up. The two twins look as if they're standing above the horizon. And we've got Castor on the right and we've got Pollux on the left. And Mars starts off close to the feet of Castor on the first, and then passes the uh, star Mipsuta. Now, Mipsuta is Epsilon Geminorum. So uh, I always like to compare these stars and their colours with the Mars. I mean, Mars is a bright orangey-red star. It appears to be a star. Uh, and then you get these pale stars next to it. So it really puts it in perspective. So on the 9th, 10th, uh, it, Mars passes Mepsuta. Uh, and then uh, on the 15th and 16th, the moon joins. And God, the moon gets in again, doesn't it? Oh, it's forever jumping it in on the around. action. Yeah, it does. Get around. Oh, I like that. Yes, it yes, definitely gets around <laughs> us. And uh, so on the 15th and 16th, it's either side of Mars. So it's a, quite a decent crescent now, either side. So a great photo and visual opportunity as well. And then Mars carries on through the center of uh, Gemini uh, until it passes Wasat, which is Delta Geminorum, on the 23rd. 
Uh, and again, that's another nice conjunction. Um, and it ends the month sort of thing. We have a bit of a, a sort of, well, I, I was going to say a curve, but looking at it, it's actually a, a shallow triangle with Castor Pollux and Mars on the 31st. But uh, there'll be an extra little star because Kappa's nearby as well. That makes it a bit of a curve, I have to say. I like these lines in the sky. When you see lines and, and little curves of stars sort of thing, I like them. And when the planet adds to it, you know, mm. that, that's the added attraction as well. Well, you know, human beings, we are natural pattern finders. It's one of the reasons why we've got the constellations is because people look up and see patterns in them. Um, when what is in reality just a random bunch of dots on the sky. I know, so. I love it. It's join the dots, <laughs> isn't it, for astronomers? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it is. It's, it's, I mean, and when we look through telescopes, of course, we do the same sort of thing. We we often see patterns. Um, there's a nice cluster in Orion. We've lost Orion now, but it's called the 37 cluster. And it's because it looks like the stars just look like a three and a seven. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's almost inevitable somebody will call it the 37 cluster, although there is a faint group of stars nearby that actually looks like another seven. So I actually think, I think it should look like a 737. But uh, that, stretch, that starts to stretch the imagination as such. <laughs> there are definitely some... Some constellations and nebula where it's like, yep, I can see why that is called what it's called. And then there's some which I have been staring at for years and I still can't <laughs> see a crab in the crab nebula. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, it, Astronomers have got very vivid imaginations, I have Absolutely. to say. <laughs> Definitely vivid <laughs> imaginations. So um, we mentioned the moon. The first quarter moon, actually, on May the 19th, um, actually lies above Regulus. So uh, again, Regulus being a bright star, it's the brightest star of Leo. Um, so it's a, another guide because the thing about this is that if you haven't looked at Regulus, then uh, it's actually a double and it's a, a quite a wide double. So uh, you may spot it with 10 by 50 binoculars, but I'd use larger binoculars and you can see to the right of Regulus, a companion. So uh, if you don't know where Regulus is, on the 19th, the moon, the first quarter moon, is directly above it, you know, quite close to Epsilon, uh, sorry, Eta Leonis as well. So uh, as I say, the, the moon is a great guide to these things, to finding these objects. And, uh, and Mars does something similar. We've already mentioned Mars is close to Wasat sort of thing, but the Wasat is a really white star. So, uh, you know, definitely check out that colour of uh, Mars with it, because this, this ruddy orange colour sort of thing really does stand out as far as I'm concerned. Now, we mentioned uh, sort of like uh, briefly the, the naked eye planets, and we have actually got all the naked eye planets back to view. Um, we, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, we've got to be careful. There might be somebody pedantic out there saying, well, technically Uranus is naked eye, um, but uh, it's lost in the solar glare at the moment, so we can't see Uranus. Neptune is struggling in the morning twilight. But in the morning sky, we have got Jupiter and Saturn, and they are easily naked eye, uh, well seen. And they're in Capricornus and Aquarius. So uh, Saturn's in Capricornus, Jupiter's in Aquarius. And the interesting thing I find is that when they're at the beginning of the month, so when the moon's close to them at the beginning of the month, it means usually this will you know, happen again at the end of the month as well. Uh, because the orbit of the moon sort of like, uh, at the extreme 29 days. So, you know, that is less apart from February. That's that's less than the you know, full uh, month. Uh, you know, throughout the year for the rest of the month. So um, on the 4th, um, the actual moon is below Saturn. 
You can say third and fourth because it's sort of either side and below Saturn as such sort of thing. Uh, and then on the fifth, it's below Jupiter. So, I mean, again, I mean, you shouldn't need the moon to guide Jupiter and Saturn, but mm. they give absolute, you know, and, and Jupiter and Saturn are the brightest stars. And, you know, I mean, I'm using <laughs> air quotes here, sort of stars uh, for that. Um, so they, you shouldn't need the moon to find them, but it is it does help if you've got the moon there to actually show you. So third, fourth, and fifth sort of thing, the moon acts as a guide to Jupiter and Saturn. And uh, the thing about Jupiter as well is that it's actually at the equinox. On the second, it's at its equinox. So, um, you know, if you're on the sort of equatorial zone of Jupiter, the sun, you know, goes right across overhead sort of thing. And it means all the plane of the moons are also overhead so you get a lot of transits and a lot of sort of eclipse shadows falling on jupiter and mutual occultations of the moons so pete's got a really good thing in this month's uh, edition the may issue all about looking for some of these sort of things because they're fascinating what again it's the clockwork nature of the solar system isn't it you know you can watch these the, the transits of these moons going across the the actual planet's disk but you can also this is the unusual thing see where the shadow of one moon falls on another Sort of thing, which is very rare. So uh, it's just a shame for me. I've got a very bad southwestern horizon, sort of <laughs> southeastern horizon, I should say, sort of, because you need to be looking in the southeast. And it's typical sort of thing, you know. I, I can't see anything down there uh, that mm. low. So uh, hopefully now, by then, sort of thing, I, I might be able to creep out and go to my observing site, sort of thing. You know, I think I'll be allowed, mm. don't you? I could call it work. <laughs> it's work, isn't it? It is work. It's, it's astronomy, and I do astronomy for a living. There, right? I've 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 solved the problem. I can do that. But uh, so that's something well worth looking at, and definitely check out the piece. Uh, for, it's in the area of the uh, three things to look out for in the magazine, and so mm -hmm. that is the first one. It really is interesting. So uh, you know, but uh, I say they're in the morning sky, and ironically, at the end of the month, although it, it's it, it does happen again, but only Saturn gets in on the act uh, because on the thirty first of May. Um, so the moon is directly below Saturn, right under it. So that means technically that it's the 1st of June when it's below Jupiter. Boo! So we can't talk about June now. Oh, right, let's get back to May itself. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so but you know, but that's the interesting conundrum, that it, it, if it happens at the, in the early part of the month, you know, within the first two or three days, say, uh, four at maximum, it'll repeat at the end of the month as well, except if it's in February. So uh, I, I look out, it's a silly thing, but I look out for them. I like them. I like, you know, I like to photograph the position and, it, and I, I can guarantee it'll be clear on one, it'll be cloudy on the other. <laughs> always, you know, it's always, it's always inevitable, isn't it? But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but uh, we do have a meteor shower uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've gone out and observed these on a regular basis. <laughs> Absolutely. The Eater Aquarids. <laughs> oh, go on, be honest sort of thing. This is, this is uh, unfortunately on morning do. <laughs> you know, you have to be keen, I have to say. The actual, um, the, the event stretches from the 5th into the 6th, but it's the morning of the 6th because that whole area doesn't really rise until around about half past two, you know, quarter to three in the morning, British summertime. So, uh, you know, it's you have to let the radiant get higher. I say it's in Aquarius. Uh, so you'll have the distraction of Jupiter and Saturn. So uh, on the fifth, six, ignore them uh, and look out for meteors. Uh, unfortunately, the moon will also be in the sky. But the, the, mm. the, the, the sort of advantage is the moon 
when it's really low down, it doesn't really contribute that much light, and it will be beginning to get twilight. Well, remember, we're in May, so the sky yeah. is slowly getting lighter. You know, we are sort of like a month and a half away from, you know, the summer solstice. So uh, it's surprising how quick the sky does get quite light. So mm. that's why, you know, they may not be the best shower, but, uh, you know, it's still well worth looking out for. And as you say, if you're the sort of person who likes getting up early and um, getting the dogs, <laughs> perhaps even a cat. I've actually seen a cat being walked once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a double take, a cat on a lead. Yes, that was quite something, you know, uh, but a very, very, very tame cat. I saw a goat being walked the other week. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, Capricornus then. Capricornus, oh, that's a sea goat. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out walking your dog, your your cat or your goat, uh, yes, you can <laughs> always look up and see a bit of astronomy. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny the number of people who do comment sort of thing when they're out walking the dog, uh, which is mm. the usual typical thing. Um, but they often, that's when they see the, uh, and I get the queries sort of thing, and I'm, the magazine gets the queries, what was that star next to the moon, et cetera, or I saw a particularly bright shooting star, you know, uh, and usually the bright ones are not really related to major showers. They're often a fireball or a partic- just that particularly bright meteor because um, you can get sporadics. But it's best to watch out for the showers because it gives a boosted chance of actually seeing meteors. So uh, so although the moon will be up, it will be slightly lighter skies because we're looking into the, you know, I say early May, um, but and it's the early hours of the morning sort of thing. So uh, you, you never know. You might actually see uh, some of the uh, Eta Aquarius meteors themselves. I think it's quite funny because actually during uh, the, the first part, the shower is quite long. You know, it starts roughly about sort of April the 20th and goes on to about May the 25th. And uh, so April the 20th through to around about the 10th or so, it's actually in Aquarius, the radiant. And then it moves mm-hmm. into Pisces. So <laughs> so we should rename them the, the, the Piscids, but there is already, already a meteor shower called the Piscids. So uh, we'll, we'll not get confused with that. But mm-hmm. it shows you the meteor radiance do move. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. quite a few of them do move as such. So uh, there we are. Now... I mean, we must be getting close towards the end of the month itself. Um, But before we do, just go out and have a look if you've got a telescope. Uh, And even, I mean, a a spotting scope, because I was out the other night with a 100mm spotting scope, which um, I've used for, you know, obviously bird life and whatnot, but uh, they can be used on the night sky. And I had a little tour of the brightest galaxies uh, up in the night sky. Now, you've got to make sure the moon's out of the way. This is the key. We're not just battling getting light and night, but when the moon's up, you don't look for deep sky objects, really, or or you, only the brightest deep sky objects, and certainly galaxies. You really need the moon out of the way. So, uh, you know, I was having a little tour through the uh, the Leo triplet. There's also, and everybody goes for the Leo triplet, which is M sixty five sixty six, and then an NGC sort of which I've got to do the three six two eight. I think is off the top of my head. Uh, do correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, um, <laughs> listener, uh, but uh, this is the thing: people, you're doing a talk, and somebody, you can see somebody googling and they're checking to make sure <laughs> you, you've mentioned the right object, sort of thing, you know. But um, but you know, there's also M95 and 96 nearby as well, which often gets forgotten about, and it's got another one, Messi 105 as well. Um, but then there's the galaxies, the Virgo Coma Cluster. There's so many messier objects here. There's around about 11 or 12 messier objects. So, you know, you've got plenty to go at in terms of galaxies. 
Uh, and my favorite, which I had a really, really cracking night um, just a few nights before we started doing this recording, um, where I got the sombrero, the best I've ever seen it. And it's low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I look over an industrial state with a lot of light pollution, which is a real pain. But the sky conditions, if they're really dry, you don't get the same amount of scattering of light. And I was amazed. And I got my best picture, actually, of the sombrero. But visually, it looks stunning. It's one of these where it's nearly edge on. And you've got a, a dark line cutting across it. And that's the dust line, dust in the uh, plane of the galaxy blocking the view. So, you know, still before it gets too dark, still get the galaxies before we get into sort of June. Um, And the final thing, um, have you seen noctilucent clouds, Has he? I keep an eye out for them when I think they might be around, but I've never managed to to nab one. Well, good news, everybody. <laughs> now, there'll be a few of you out there thinking, oh, he's a fan of Futurama. Yes, I am actually sort of thing. You know, Professor Farnsworth always said that. I walk into the room and say, good news, everybody. And you always knew it was something disastrous going to happen as such. But the good news is, and around about the last week of May, um, we start to get the start of the season for the noctilucent clouds. And these are night shining clouds. Uh, I think they're around 50, 60 miles up in the atmosphere. So about they're incredibly that. high. So they're still in sunlight, even though it's nighttime for us. And so we start to see these night shining clouds um, around about. So it looks sort of towards the northwest round through the north and then into the morning sky, it's into the northeast before the sun rises. And uh, they they are unpredictable, but we know the season will start usually mid-May, last week of May as a rule, and go on through till about August. So uh, the conditions are just right. These are very, they're usually ice crystals, incredibly high up, but they're reflecting the sunlight. And so Mm. normal clouds to us only go up to about five miles. So they still look dark. So they are often silhouetted against the brighter twilight sky, but then you get these shimmery, silvery blue clouds. And sometimes they they have such intricate structures, you know, and changing within seconds. So uh, this is the time to see, and I'm I'm looking forward to them. I've I've got some photographs over the years, and uh, I've got a particularly nice one that I I was always uh, favourite in actual fact, a few years ago, where actually there's a a mast not too far from me in actual fact. And uh, I got this view, and uh, there was a particularly bright patch to the right, low down, but it looked like a dolphin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we mentioned the lines and the dots for the constellations, but you know, I looked up at this guy and I thought, that looks like a dolphin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there we are, the dolphin NLC, noctilucent cloud, but definitely well worth looking out for those uh, as we move into the summer sky and the light sky. So we may lose the dark skies, but there are plenty of other things to start looking forward to when we do the next Star Diary. Absolutely. There's always something great to see in the night sky. So there we have it. Our recommendations for the month of May are to keep a lookout for Venus and Mercury in the evening sky, track the moon throughout the month, and maybe even get lucky and see a couple of noctilucent clouds. If you want to find out about even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for in May 2021. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. 
For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skylightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 